Perfect. Good. How are you doing? You all right? Nice to see you all. Welcome, welcome. Um, I'd love you to turn to Mark chapter 12 with me. Mark chapter 12. It's on page 1017. And Mark's gospel is the account of Jesus' life, uh, eyewitness account, um, written down so that we could know about Jesus. And he gives a huge amount of time to the, the end of Jesus' life. Nothing about his birth, nothing about Christmas, a lot about Easter. And uh, we, we've got to this point, right? There's this massive confrontation going on. So, so Jesus started off his ministry up north uh, in Israel, in um, Galilee. Now, unlike the UK, where the north is obviously highly significant and highly important, we love the north, love the north. In Jesus' day, the north of Israel was just a little bit, you know, it wasn't, nothing really happened there. Everything happened down in the south, east, in the capital. And, uh, you know, everything kind of focused on Jerusalem. And Jesus spent a lot of his time in the north, in Galilee, doing miracles, teaching, uh, building a following. He was getting really famous. But it was, it was all kind of up here, Galilee, Nazareth. But what we discover is that Jesus is heading for, he's on a road to Jerusalem throughout Mark's gospel. And he says, I've got to go to Jerusalem. And he knows what's going to happen to him. He's going to die. And Jesus came into Jerusalem. We saw that a few weeks ago. And then he went in Jerusalem, right? In the middle of Jerusalem was like the south bank of Jerusalem was the temple. You know, the kind of the key place in in Jerusalem was the temple where everything happened, the most important spot in everything. The temple was like God's throne on earth. Super important. So here's Jesus, leaves the wastelands of the north to come to the south bank where everything happens. And he comes right into the temple. And he meets there the religious leaders of the day. And he has an almighty confrontation with them. And we've been seeing that for the last few weeks. And we've been working our our, our way through kind of a little chunk at a time. Now what we're going to do today is we're going to speed up a bit. We're going to take quite a big chunk. So I want to do something a bit different today. Rather than taking one little chunk slowly, I want us to go bang, 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 to see kind of how these marks put it together in a point. And one of the dangers of only ever reading little bits is that you forget the bigger bit. So we're going to watch a confrontation, and we're going to watch a series of questions. That's what's going on in, 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 today's, uh, in today's section of Mark's Gospel. Um, I, I don't know when the last time was that you were properly questioned. When were you last properly questioned? I'm not talking about, you know, someone saying, how's your week, how's your life? I mean someone properly questioning you, interrogating you. <laughs> when did that last happen? You know, maybe it was the last time you were arrested, or the last time you were, uh, had a job interview, or the last time you were taken home by a girl for dinner. Yeah, I don't know when the last time was you were properly interrogated, right? Um, But it strikes me that in a confrontation, and when there's questioning going on, you really want to be the questioned and not the questioned, right? Look, imagine, okay, here's, um, I've got got two chairs. This is my not-so-high-quality visual aid, all right? There it is, okay, that's it, all right. This is, that's it. You could have imagined two chairs. I, I understand that, all right? But I'm helping you. 
And you can't even see them at the back. That's the irony. Anyway, there's two chairs now on the stage, which you can't see. So uh, here are two chairs, right? And in this chair is the person being questioned. And in this chair is the questioner. Now, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? In nearly every situation where that's true, this is the one with the authority. This is where the power lies. They're asking the questions. Um, I, I think it was interesting in, in all the presidential debates. I don't know if you watched the presidential debates, you know, Trump and Clinton. It was I- interesting, actually, what they're trying to do. The, the key thing to achieve in a debate is to switch from being the one being questioned to the one asking the questions. So they're always trying to ask the other person questions. Because that's, that's what gives you a, an, an error of authority. Yes, Hillary, I want to ask you about your emails. Tell me about your emails. I want to know about your You see, suddenly you're, you're taking the authority position. Now, what I want to try and do this afternoon is show you there's a whole load of questions going on here. And I want to suggest to you that humanity thinks that we get to question God. We think we can question God. And so we kind of sit in this chair and we put God over there and we say, God, I've got some questions for you. In fact, we might even say, if you could ask God one question, what would you ask him? I want to suggest what gives, what makes you think he's ready for a question. What about the questions he's got for us? And what we're going to see today in this section is that these two chairs completely change places. So it starts off with Jesus sitting here being questioned by the religious leaders. But by the end, it is very, very clear who has the authority. And it's very clear who's questioning who. There was a film, a few, oh, this would be way before your time, um, a film called The Man Who Sued God. Has anyone seen The Man Who Sued God? One. Well done. That's good. This is going to be a great illustration. Uh, it, was, it was Billy Connolly, uh, and basically he, he was a fisherman, his boat sank, and the insurance company said they wouldn't pay because it was an act of God. So he set out to sue God, and he tried to put God in the dock. And I want to suggest that that's what humanity thinks it can do to God. It, We think we can question him. And what I've been praying would happen this afternoon is that we would recognize actually his questioning of us is more important than our questioning of him. So let's let's track through this and hopefully that will will, uh, come clear as we go through. You see, just as Jesus walked right into the confrontation room of the temple, I believe this afternoon Jesus wants to walk right into our hearts and confront our hearts. And I'm going to suggest, I'm, we're going to look at three questions that Jesus asked, and then we're going to look at the one question that Jesus asked back. Um, okay, here we go. The first one is the hunter's question. And I'm going to ask you to try and analyze your own heart. As I'm speaking, I want you to try and analyze your heart and think about, can you see anything in your heart that has this sort of attitude when it comes to Jesus, God, and, and that stuff? Let me read it. Mark chapter 12, verse 13. Later, they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. Uh, Just to say, Herodians and Pharisees hate each other. They are enemies politically. They want different people to be king. But it's interesting, isn't it? When they have a common enemy, they unite. And so these two groups unite to come and question Jesus. Here they come. 
They came to him, verse 14, and said, teacher. You see, look how they sit down, right? They're sitting. Oh, bother. Which chair was this? This one. They're sitting down in this chair. Teacher, we know that you're a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. But you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay the poll tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? There's their question, right? Seeking to exert authority. But Jesus knew the hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me, he asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. So here's the first question. Okay, they come to Jesus, but we're told why they come. They want to catch Jesus in his words. They're hunting. They're not interested in what he's got to say. They just want to try and trap him. They want to try and take hold of him. It's like, it's like when I go fishing. I don't go fishing very often, but I, ha- I happened to go fishing yesterday. I went fishing with my children, and I put a ragworm on the end of a hook, which is pretty disgusting, and I cast it out into the ocean. I'm not interested in the fish having a nice meal. That's not my aim. It's a deception. I put the worm on to say, ah, look, good little fishy, I want to give you something nice to eat. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in catching it, which I didn't, obviously, because it's a complete waste of time. (laughs) This is the problem. I went fishing. The first time we went fishing with our kids, we caught, like, four things. It was so exciting. We've never caught anything since, and yet we live on that dream. It's a bit like golf. Anyway, um, they're trying to trap, right? So here they come with their bait. You see how they bait the hook? Oh, teacher, we know you're a man of integrity. Here's your worm. Here's the hook to try and hook Jesus. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, to, to who they are. But you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. I mean, that is some commendation. If someone walked in today and said, "John, I've been thinking about Jesus, and I've decided that I think he is a man of integrity." not swayed by others, pays no attention, but teaches the way of God in the corner of truth. I think I'd say, oh, that's terrific. But actually their heart, Jesus knows their hypocrisy. They're only interested in trying to catch him out. They're trying to be clever. And they ask him this question about taxes, and they think it's so clever, they're trying to catch him. Because here's the two options, right? He either says, yes, you should pay taxes to Rome, which upsets who? All the Jews who hate the Romans, and this poll tax was an extra tax levied by the Romans. So you either upset all the Jews and they go, we don't, we, what a loser saying we should pay taxes to Rome. Or you say you shouldn't pay taxes to Rome and then you upset the Romans. He's stuck. We got him. Jesus is absolutely trapped. We found a little loophole. Jesus, how are you going to get out of this? It's sad, right? And yet this is humanity seeking to trap, seeking to twist, seeking to find a way to bring Jesus down and to expose him as as a man who lacks integrity. But look, I mean, his answer is stunning, isn't it? It's just so calm and so obvious. 
Jesus knows the hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me? Bring me a denarius. Let me look at it. And this is great. He's, someone brings him. A, this is like this is how you teach kids, right? Bring me a coin. Has anyone got a coin? Excellent. Let's have a look at the coin. Bring me a coin. Whose picture is this? Do you know? Who've we got here? Who's this one? And they say, it's Caesar's. And then Jesus says, well, you give to Caesar what bears his image. And you give to God what bears his image. You see what Jesus is saying? In one fell swoop, in one answer, Jesus absolutely upholds integrity. He shows himself to be exactly what they said about him. He shows himself to be the man who speaks truth, who teaches God's way in accordance with truth. He says, yeah, you submit to human authorities. Caesar has an authority over you. You pay him taxes. But he's not your God. You give that to God. You worship him. You were created. You bear the image of God in the same way that Denarius bears the image of Caesar. You were created in God's image. You bear his image. Whether you believe in him or not, you carry his image. That's why you love. That's why you laugh. That's why you enjoy beauty. That's why you worship. Because you were created by God in his image. You bear his image. And therefore, just as the coin is owed to Caesar, your life is owed to God. Here's Jesus. The first question, the question of the hunter who wants to try and take Jesus down, and yet Jesus exposes what's really going on in their hearts. Now, I wonder this afternoon, I wonder whether we ever question Jesus in that way. With no real interest in him, just trying to, just trying to bring him down, just trying to find a loophole, trying to find an excuse to not obey him. Perhaps it is in this area of, of paying taxes. If you're a Christian, you you should pay tax. You shouldn't try and avoid it. You shouldn't try and find a loophole. You shouldn't try and put it in a something, a plastic bag. You shouldn't do that. You should pay the tax. And included within that, you should give honor and respect to our leaders. And worship to God. I think this has big questions about how we treat our leaders. This is... um, This is where we just got to unpack a little bit of what Jesus is teaching because we can't miss this. You know, we are so in a pattern and in a cycle of being cynical and and taking the mickey out of our leaders. Actually, Jesus says, no, you respect them. You give them what is rightfully theirs. And you give to God what is rightfully his. So let's be careful of that in the battlefield of our hearts as Jesus exposes this first question. Let's be careful of that questioning in our hearts that would basically seek to find a way to wriggle out of obeying God. Find a way of wriggling around what Jesus says. Twisting it, distorting it. Trying to find a way to expose Jesus as a as lacking in integrity. But we need to crack on again. We see the second question, the hunter's question, the second um, is the mocker's question. Have a look at the, the next thing. Then the Sadducees. Who are they? Well, we're told who they are. They're the ones who say there's no resurrection. Came to him with a question. Here they are again. They take their seat. The, Phar- the Pharisees and, teach- and the Herodians, they've been kind of moved on. Move on, please. Next group, sit down. Sadducees, sit down. 
came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there was seven brothers. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but he also died leaving no child. It was the same with the third. In fact, none of the seven left to any children. Last of all, the woman died too. At the resurrection, whose wife will she be since the seven were married to her? Now, we might miss it, okay? Because you might go, what is that? What it is... What it is, is a Mickey take. So the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. Okay? They don't believe in angels or supernatural or life after death. They believe that this world is all there is. They believe in God, but they don't believe in anything really beyond this world, beyond what they can see. That's very 21st century, right? That's very London. We believe in what is material. That's, now, that's handy for the Sadducees because they were loaded. They were the wealthy elite in the Jewish nation. So they don't believe in the resurrection. So they come with, now their attack, you see, is just to take the mickey. <laughs> this stupid resurrection stuff. Come on, let's have a go. Right, so, right, there's a bloke. He, he has no children. He dies. His brother marries. She dies. Another one, another one, another one. Then she dies. Right, who's she married to then, eh? Stupid, isn't it? That's his point. His point is, that their point is, This is just stupid. Believing in the supernatural, believing in the resurrection is just nonsense. That's their line of attack. The first guys are trying to set a trap. They're trying to trip Jesus up. The second guys are just outright laughing at him. Oh, look at Jesus' reply. Jesus replied, Are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? Wow. Can't you imagine them sitting there, you know, looking at each other going, this is funny. How's you going to answer this? Obvious. Stupid. And Jesus just looks at them and says, you have not got a clue about the power of God or the word of God. You don't know anything. Wow. This is electric, Right? This is some confrontation. This is better than any of the president. Well, it's not difficult. Uh, I was going to say it's better than the presidential debates, but they were rubbish. This is electric, what's going on here. When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Now about the dead rising. Have you not read in the book of Moses, in the account of the burning bush, how God said to him, I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. Jesus just goes right for it. He says, you just haven't got a clue. You haven't got a clue about the power of God and the word of God. Jesus says, there is a time coming when the dead will be raised. Right, let me answer your question. Here's the woman. Here are the seven brothers. Which one's she married to? None of them. Because marriage is part of a picture that is fulfilled in the new creation. Marriage points forward to the great day when Jesus and his church will be united in a marriage. And every human marriage points forward to that. And therefore human marriage will have reached its fulfillment in the new creation. In the resurrection. And Jesus wants to challenge our mocking hearts that so often get wrapped up in this world and in this stuff and in this life and in this, this, this. And Jesus says, you don't know anything about the power of God or the word of God. 
There is a resurrection coming beyond your wildest dreams, Jesus says. That's why he mentions angels. Because he's digging the needle in. The Sadducees don't believe in angels either. And yet Jesus says, then they're going to be like, oh, you don't believe in them either. (laughs) We have a big problem in our world about the supernatural. There was a very famous Christian a few years uh, back uh, called Francis Schaeffer. Brilliant man. When he uh, used to go into university missions to students, um, I heard once that the first talk he would do would be on angels. Because he wanted, to, he wanted to set out, we're talking about supernatural here. And you have to get out of this kind of just this world thinking. Jesus is answering these mockers. And he says, you need to get to know God's power and you need to get, get to know God's word. So let me ask you this. Is there ever in the battleground, the confrontation of your heart, a little voice that says, this is nonsense? There's no such thing as the eternity. This is nonsense. This life is all there is. Don't you ever feel that? Can't you ever feel a sort of a mocking voice? You certainly hear it in the world around you, right? You turn on the telly, you listen to Stephen Fry, and he's just like, that's, that's him. He just mo- It's mockery. It's not clever. It's just stupid, right? That's how, that's one line of questioning in this confrontation. But we can feel it in our own hearts. And when we begin to feel that questioning and we begin to say, God, I don't even know if you're real. I don't even know you're there. I don't know anything. We need to say, I need to get to know the power of God and the word of God. It's his power at work. It's him who raises the dead. And Jesus explains it by going back to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. They're long dead, right? They're dead. They've been dead for hundreds of years when Jesus has come along. And yet Jesus says, but God is still the God of the Abraham, Isaac and Jacob because they're still alive. That's his argument. You're badly mistaken. So the Sadducees have to shuffle off into the nothingness of questiondom. <laughs> you see how Jesus is just answering the questions. He says, come on, then you question me. <laughs> Another one. Verse 28, I'm still alive. Everyone alive? Good. We're only going alive. That's, this was setting the bar low, okay? <laughs> Verse 28. Um, this is the third of the questions, all right? This is the almost question. We've had the hunter's question. He wants to trap Jesus. Not interested in what he actually got to say. Just want to try and trick him. You've had the the uh, next question, <laughs> whatever that was, the Sadducees, and their mockery, the mocking question. Here's the third one, right? The almost question. Look at this. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he takes his seat in the questioning seat. He asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. 
You're right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one died ask him any more questions. Right, what's going on here? This is slightly different, right? Because here's a guy who's slightly different. He's not out to trap Jesus like the hunter. He's not out to mock Jesus like the Sadducees. He seems to come with a genuine desire, a genuine question. And he sits and he asks Jesus this question about the greatest commandment. And Jesus' answer is just so clear. This is the greatest commandment. You love God with all your heart, soul, strength and mind. And then you love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. That's the summary of all of, <laughs> all of Moses' teaching. That's it. Love God, love others. But look at the man's response. Well said, teacher. The man replied, you're right. Where's he, which chair is he sitting in? Which chair is he in? You can't even remember which chair is which, can you? He's sitting in this chair. He's sitting in the chair with authority. He's still sitting as the questioner. This is like in the interview process. He's still questioning Jesus. Jesus gives his answer and he gives his verdict on Jesus' answer. Well done, that's right, Jesus. Very good. But Jesus won't stand for that. That's not how it works. You don't sit in that chair. You sit in that chair. So look what Jesus says. Verse 34, when Jesus saw he'd answered wisely, he said to him, here it is, here's the verdict. You are not far from the kingdom of God. How, what would the man have react, how would the man have reacted to that? Do you think he'd have walked off going, hey, not far from the kingdom of God? Pretty good, I'll take that. Or don't you think it would come like a punch in the stomach? Not far? Not far from the middle of the kingdom of God, do you mean? Jesus still stands and says, you're not there yet. And that's why, at the end of the thing, it says, and from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. Man, I'm not risking that. Every time someone asks him a question, they end up in the, in the question chair. Over and over again, Jesus says, I'm the one who has authority. I'm the one who asks the questions. I actually think this man is not there because he hasn't left that chair yet. And that brings us to the ultimate question. This is the last one. So there's no more questions from the crowd now. I mean, let's face it, that's fair enough, right? It would take a brave man, it would take a brave person to come up and go, Can I try one? I've got one. Can I have a go? <laughs> There's no more. Jesus silenced them all. While Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, he asked. Okay, now Jesus takes his rightful seat. He asks, why do the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? The large crowd listened to him with delight. 
I don't think they've got a clue what he's saying, but I think they listen to him with great delight. Now, this is slightly puzzling. What does Jesus do? This is the ultimate question. The question that silenced the hunter and the mocker and the almost man. This is the ultimate question. And Jesus goes back to this psalm. Psalm 110. Now, this is slightly puzzling. Let's just get this with me, okay? Let me just fill in a little bit of background. Take a deep breath. We're going to do this together, right? Punch your neighbor if they've fallen asleep. Let's wake each other up. Let's go for this, right? Uh, David was the great king. King, David. Yay, kills giant. Happy days, right? But there was always a promise that there was going to be one who would come from David's line who would be king forever. Son, David's son, Solomon. Solomon's son, Rehoboam. Rehoboam, that's as far as it goes. Da, 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 da. Until you eventually get to Jesus. So the Jews would say, okay, we're waiting for David's son to come. We're waiting for the Messiah, the son of David. But Jesus goes, hang on a second. Because in Psalm 110... Look what it says. David, verse 36, speaking by the Holy Spirit says, the Lord, that's God, right? Yahweh, the Lord, God of Israel, said to my Lord, who's that? Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Well, the Jews would have known that that was about the Messiah. So so Jesus' question is, how come David calls this figure who's coming his Lord? And yet you just call him his son. Okay, blank faces, that's all right, because it's really very simple. Jesus is essentially saying this, David, when he saw me, when he looked into the future and saw me, He called me Lord. And he said, all of of the enemies will be put under my feet. David called me Lord. Why don't you? That's his question. Why won't you call me Lord? Why won't you bow down to me as King of kings and Lord of lords? Why won't you bow down to me? David got it. It comes down to this question. This is the ultimate question that Jesus has for you. Who do you think he is? That's the question that Mark has been asking over and over again. Who do you say I am? Who is Jesus? That's the question, the ultimate question. Actually, the only question that really matters. The question that God sits in this seat, that Jesus sits in this seat, he stares you in the eye and he says, who do you say I am? Will you call me Lord? Even King David called me Lord. Will you? Will you understand that I am the one who all enemies will be put under my feet? I am the king, the king to whom all worship is due. Who do you say I am? And that ultimate question is the question that exposes us, that humbles us, that silences the hunter in us, that wants to point a finger at Jesus and escape his authority, that that, that humbles the mocker in us, that wants to 
mock and scoff and say, there's no such thing as eternity and resurrection. It humbles the almost in us that likes to sit in church and go, yeah, I like that. I think that's quite good. I like what Jesus says. No, 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 no. That's not how it works, right? We don't get to sit in church and go, I like Jesus. Yeah, that's really good. Well done, Jesus. Well said, Jesus. That's really good. Can I say to you, if your attitude this afternoon as we sit in church is, well done, Jesus. I liked that. Jesus says, you may be near, but you're not there. Because the only ones who are in the kingdom are the ones who've realized that Jesus is Lord. Are the ones who've fallen down before him and said, you're my Lord and my God. Now, reality is, as we wrap this all up, that for many of us, we feel that confrontation in our heart. I hope you do. I hope you get what I'm talking about. That desire to try and escape God's authority, that desire to mock or that desire to kind of pass judgment on it. The reality is I haven't loved God with all my heart, soul, strength and mind. I certainly haven't loved my neighbours myself. I haven't put Jesus first. I haven't honoured the authorities. I don't know the power of God and the word of God. There's so many ways I fall short. And yet that's why Jesus came. Because he's the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. And Jesus came to rescue people like us. He came to rescue us and to bring us into his kingdom. You can't get into his kingdom yourself. You, you might get close. This man did. But you can't get in yourself. But Jesus goes to a cross. He dies. He rises from the dead. He, he sits at the right hand of his father. And one day all enemies will be put under his feet. Will you call him Lord? So this week, as we go into this week, we may have all sorts of questions. And let me say there's nothing wrong with asking questions. But there are really bad questions. The questions that point the finger, the questions that mock, the questions that pass judgment. There are great questions, the humble ones. They say, I want to understand more. Jesus, help me to understand more. I want to know more. Those questions are great. So let's, let's come before him now. Let's recognize who he is. Let's humble ourselves before him. And let's take these questions. And in one sense, let's allow him to question us. There's a fantastic account in the Old Testament of a man who learned this lesson. A man called Job. Listen to what God said to Job. In fact, why don't you close your eyes? Just listen to this and, and hear these words spoken to you. He says, of people who come with all their questions, he says, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself. I will question you and you shall answer me. Heavenly Father, we feel the weight of that. We confess how often we want to be the questioner. How often we want to pass our judgment on you. How often we want to wag our fingers in your face or try and trip you up or mock you. Father, forgive us. Forgive us for the arrogance of our hearts. And we ask that we may allow you to question us. 
that you might search us, that you might know us, that you might expose our hearts because you're a God who loves. And as we humble ourselves, you are the God who restores and forgives and who brings us into your kingdom. Father, thank you. Thank you that we have a king. And we want to this afternoon acknowledge together, Jesus, you are Lord. You alone are Lord. We bear your image and we owe you worship. You are the one who raises the dead. And you are the one to whom we must love with all our heart, soul, strength and mind. Oh, Father, please stop our questioning and allow us to hear the questions you ask us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as I say, it may be that you've still got questions, good questions. And I want to encourage you to ask those questions, but to ask them in that humility. And and maybe tomorrow night would be a great opportunity for you to do that. Come along tomorrow night, Monday evening, uh, in the little cafe in Hayes Galleria. Um, We're going to have a a talk, a chance to ask questions, to look at what the Bible really says about life. And if you're still exploring that, still working that out, then it would be a great thing for you to come along to tomorrow. It doesn't matter if you've not bringing friends or whatever, just if, if it would help you because you want to get some stuff clear, then come along. It's, it's for you. But we're going to take some time to respond. We're going to, we've got a, we've got a couple of songs. And, and I really want to, um, I want to suggest you use this time either to stand and sing or to sit and pray um, or to think through something we've heard, you've heard, something that's perhaps really challenged you. Perhaps God's been particularly pointing out where areas where he wants, he wants you to acknowledge Jesus as Lord. But let's, let's sing these couple of songs together. I'm going to hand over to the band and we'll lead together.